Welcome to Spilling the Title Tea, where we talk a lot about life and a little about business. Your host, Ashley Ramsey, will be sitting down with guests from all different sectors of the real estate industry to tell you their real life stories. From hardships to triumphs and business to personal lives, we promise to bring you the tea. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Spilling the Title Tea. Today's guest is Amanda Baker-West, who's a loan officer with Movement Mortgage here in Richmond, Kentucky. Welcome to the show, Amanda. Thanks for having me. All right, Amanda, as a loan officer who has survived the craziness of the market's highs and the market's now lows between 2020 and the present time, you're no stranger to adjusting to major shifts. And if I am correct, didn't you even move here like right before lockdown? Yes, we moved here about 18 months before lockdown happened. And we had two very small children. Our youngest just turned three and our oldest had just turned five. We were in Los Angeles for my husband's work. He's a software engineer. So when he got a work from home position, it was just the market there is even crazier than the market here. And home prices were just soaring. Rent prices were just soaring. So we thought it was best to move back. We're from Kentucky. Our family lives here. My husband grew up down the street in Berea. So when we were looking at homes to come to, we you know, originally wanted to land back in Lexington. That's because we both went to UK. That's where we graduated. Our first home was in Lexington. We really loved like the urban city feel. But we were, when we looked at school districts, we could find the houses in our budget, but the school districts were not favorable, I'm going to say. So we looked at Richmond because, you know, my husband grew up down the street and Richmond has grown exponentially even since the early 2000s when he was here. And, you know, I met my husband's family at Kodo for the first time, like way back. Oh my God, it's almost like 20 years ago. I'm like dating myself. (laughs) (laughs) But like, it's still grown. Like Galaxy Bowling was there, but nothing like Meyer wasn't here. A lot of the other development homes, you know, everything is just grown. It was like farmland, even just recently. So when we were coming back, we landed here. And I was so happy to land here because we got a better value for our home, a really good school district. It's been a great community to like raise children in. But the struggle was because COVID happened. I didn't know but a handful of people because my daughter went to MKA. And so they just throw your children in like a classroom but they're not necessarily going to go to the same school as like their friends. So that was kind of a struggle for both of us because we would make friends with some of the other children and their parents, but then we'd get separated because they're in a different school district. So that was pretty hard for us. So I looked on the Richmond mom groups and it was like a happenstance. I posted like, hey, I'm new. Let's get a play date. And this one mom, she's like, hey, I'm, you know, looking for mom friends too. And we lived in the same neighborhood. Oh, wow. What are the odds? I know. And like, she was like literally a street over. Her kids were really, really close in age with mine. We actually have one of our kids are in the same grade. Sadly, they haven't been in the same class yet. I'm really hoping, God, they're going to get married and they're going to have beautiful children. I'm just, (laughs) I don't know if I can bring back arranged marriages. I don't know if that's frowned upon. (laughs) I love them together. They're such a cute, like little couple, like friends. Um, precious. How precious would it be that if they oh my god, they would have like the cutest blonde, blue eyed babies because they both are blonde and blue eyes, and like they're just like they're very protective of each other. They are just friends. Like we do not push like boyfriends, girlfriends, like any like relationships. I'm just secretly hoping <laughs> that they like you know like it's like high school sweethearts, and then they get married after college kind of thing. Yeah. So we connected, but that was my only friend. 
And it only happened because, you know, COVID and it was really hard to meet people during COVID. You know, we did have some extracurricular activities that the girls were involved with after not really school because I was doing the schooling. So again, that tied me home. And then I started working during COVID anchoring me even more at home. So I wasn't out in the world getting to meet people. And this is a new community to me. Also for my husband, like, yes, he knows some people that may have migrated from Berea to Richmond, but still he doesn't know that many people. Well, and for you, our audience may not know, but I know that you are an extrovert. Oh my God. I'm very, <laughs> you know, the old saying is true, like opposites tracked. And my husband is very introverted and we went to a festival and he's like, you're not going to talk to everybody, are you? And I was like, you brought the wrong person. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. So for you to not have anybody, you know, to talk to because you're stuck at a home trying to teach these kids their school, trying to do your work and there's no one around. Oh, I was miserable. My husband was in heaven. He was like, I ain't talking to nobody. I ain't going to no birthday parties. I am not going anywhere. This is amazing. I'm the happiest he's ever been. Me on the other hand, I'm like in the garage having a meltdown. I'm like, I miss people. You know, like just stress because, you know, keeping up with your kids 24-7, 365 is a lot. Yes, I was a stay-at-home mom. Yes, I did it. But I added an extra layer of stress to myself by going back to work. And then an extra layer of stress was added by, you know, the schools were shut down. We were having to do the teacher. I am not a teacher. That is not what I went to school for. Like, I am very educated in myself, but teaching little people and things have changed. Math is a whole different ballgame. Reading is a whole different ballgame. And so, like, I'm doing old school ways, like math. And they're like, I don't get it. This is not the right way in my book. And I'm like, I don't know how you do it in your book. So, like, I'm having to relearn math. And, like, this is elementary school math. This is not, like, (laughs) calculus. I probably would have done better in calculus than, yeah, than common core. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, just adding extra layers and I felt isolated. And so it's really nice that the world has opened up and I was so excited. I was like, I can spread my wings and become a beautiful butterfly again. And just like, get out there and socialize. Oh, that is too funny. So how did you cope with, you know, just that whole idea of I can't get out of this house I am stuck here with these little children (laughs) and with work, iced coffee and alcohol. (laughs) And they might have been together. Who knows? (laughs) Lots of iced coffee and alcohol. COVID really impacted a lot of people, not in a positive way. And so we did develop unhealthy habits that we've had to undo since COVID, uh, like lots of snacking and lots of, you know, adult beverages or just (sighs) tire king. Like, just really bad <laughs> binge and just become oxidative. I've forgotten about Tiger King until she just said that. <laughs> oh, my mother-in-law lived with us for a month, like right at the beginning of COVID, which was already, again, another layer of stress. You know, she's getting divorced and moving into our basement and working out of my basement. So I'm working from home. The kids are home. My mother-in-law's home. Chase is home. Like, everybody is at home working. And yeah, just really, really... Crappy TV. Go into survival mode. And sometimes survival mode means trash television and snacks. Really horrible food. (laughs) Chocolate. Oh my gosh. I have the worst sweet tooth and chocolate is like my kryptonite. (laughs) I'm the same. And that's what I go to when I'm stressed. I go to the sweets. Oh my gosh. We have like marshmallows in the house from s'mores. And I'm just like randomly like walking past the pantry and I'm like pop one in my mouth and like go back to work. And I'm like, I've got to get these things out of my house. Oh my goodness. So one of the things that you and your family are involved in, which I find just amazing, is the foster care system. 
And I know that that comes with tons of unknowns, a lot of ups and downs and shifting in your life because that kind of happens on the fly. You get information about a child that needs you on the fly. You get information about them leaving your home, you know, just kind of out of the blue. And, you know, why don't you just tell us a little bit about your experiences with that and why you guys decided to, you know, fill that kind of role within the community that's such a needed role. I am very much a giver. I have, I feel like that's my love language is gifts and acts of service. I feel like my daughter has tendencies to be the same and she's very self-righteous and she wants to do on to others as she wants to be done to herself. So for us, my sisters were IVF babies, but it takes a step further. They are donated eggs. This is over 27 years ago. They are now 27, so 28 years ago, which was new technology then. Yeah. So that kind of came as a giving, like I had thought about donating my eggs or being a surrogate. And as I've aged, there's just a lot of risk that comes with using your body to fulfill someone's family and which would be amazing to give it back. I was just like, I'm a parent. Those risks were too much for me to... You have to think about your children. Yes. So my dad was adopted when he was about three or four by a family member. He was in the foster care system, left a really terrible situation. His dad died of an overdose. He was alcoholic and drug addict in the 60s. And then his mom was also an alcoholic and drug addict. And he was the lucky one of his family because he was the youngest. He has other siblings that, you know, grew up in poverty where he made something of himself. And I really contribute that to my family member that adopted him and became his mom and dad. So I've always wanted to give back in some way, like I said, you know, with the surrogacy or the donating of eggs. And the other two kind of fell, you know, by the wayside because I was like, risks aren't worth it. But I'm going to talk to my husband and my kids because my kids are very important in the decision making in our family because they are an equal part of our family. It's not just me and my dad making the decisions. And so we brought it up to the girls because if they were definitely against helping foster, you know, that's something that would impact them. We probably wouldn't have done it, but they were more open to it than my husband was. Like he wasn't opposed to it. It's just, you know, when it's not your kid, it's unknown territory. And I feel like men, not all men, but a lot of men tend to be like, well, they're not mine. I'm worried, you know, like what's going to happen? Will I bond with this thing? Thing. Kid. Yeah, this child. You know, like my... (laughs) I get it. I call my kids my dog. So like when they were little, I was like, can you put the baby in the crate? And my mom's like, what? I'm like the car seat, the car seat. Can you put the baby in the car seat? (laughs) So I slip on my words all the time. So they were really excited and they would be like, mommy, mommy, when are we going to get a new brother or sister? And I'm like, that's not how it works. We don't get to go like pick them out. You know, we get the children that need help and we don't know. It's like worse than going into labor because at least with labor, you know, you have a due date. You can see the baby like on a sonogram, like with you, like you know, moving in your tummy. But with fostering, the call can come at any moment, at any time. We are relatively new at fostering. Our home just opened in January and we've only had two placements. We've had multiple calls. I'll talk on that in just a second, but we've only had two placements. The first placement was kind of in the middle of the day. I was taking my daughter to her therapy appointment and I was sitting in the parking lot and they're like, oh, well, we have this little girl. It's an emergency custody thing. You know, mom was involved in a hit and run fled the scene and so the little girls at the hospital getting checked out like she's three years old very quiet and you know are you interested yes we're, we're very interested you know I didn't ask you know any details other than like her name and they're like Carly and so you pick them up at the DCBS office it's on the other side of town closer to Coles. so I go over there and it's really traumatic to see mm-hmm. these kids because you know that they've had a really difficult time 
And so I walk into this room and there's this little girl sitting at the table and I do gentle parenting. So I like got on her level and I started to whisper because she's already had a traumatic day. It's probably been like hectic with like the doctors and the, the police knocked on our door at 3 a.m. in the morning yeah. to come and get her. So I started whispering and I was like, hi, my name's Amanda. And I was like, what's your name? And you know, just like talking to her softly. And I was like, do you want to come sit in my lap? Because she's just sitting on this chair, like eating chicken nuggets. And I was like, do you just want to sit on my lap for a minute? And she's like, yeah. So she gets in my lap and we're like talking for a little bit. And they're like, hey, we're going to let you like sit with her and get acquainted. And we're going to go finish her paperwork. So I'm like sit there and I'm rocking her and I'm asking her questions. She's like shaking her head. She's not really talking to me because again, traumatic. Traumatized. Yes. So I'm just being very gentle with her. And I was like, do you watch a movie on my phone? And she's like, yeah. And I was like, what's your favorite movie? And she's trying to tell me like Vampire Grandpa. And I was like, Vampire Grandpa. And I looked it up. There's a movie called Vampire Grandpa. And I was like, is this it? And she's like, no. And I was like, well, I can't find it. What's your other favorite movie? And she's like, Jazz. And I was like, oh, do you want to watch Aladdin? And she's like, yeah. Come to find out Vampire Grandpa was Hotel Transylvania. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. I got you now. So I turned on the movie. And I'm, I'm still, she's sitting in my lap. I'm still rocking her, like, you know, holding her in my arms. She falls asleep. She's exhausted. She just like fell asleep in my arms. She didn't have anything, no clothes, no tennis shoes, no stuffies. Like they got all of the stuff that she had with her, whereas like from the hospital, like lost and found that the nurses could find for her. So I took her and they were like, she's not potty trained or any of this. Like they don't know a lot about these children when they first get them, unless they've been in the system before when they're brand new. They know nothing about their temperament, not a whole lot about their past. They don't know if they're potty trained or, you know, the foods that they like. So you're going in blind a lot of the times. So I took her to Walmart and I was like, baby, you pick out what you want. We're going to go to the 12. You'll get your own toy that you can take home. You pick out whatever you want. We're going to go get you some panties and some clothes. Yeah. And then I've kept all my girls things from, you know, maybe three, four T up. So we had a lot of clothes that would fit her, but I wanted her to have her own things as well. And I let her pick out a pair of sheets for her bed that she could take with her when she goes home. If she went home, you never know. You don't know how long they're going to be there to go. And as soon as she got comfortable with me, she would not stop talking, which was amazing. But then as soon as we got home, she clammed up because she was not used to men in her life. So my husband had to be very gentle with her and like, you know, he didn't help with like bath time or potty or anything like that. But bedtime, we lay in each girl's bed for a few minutes at night just to decompress, talk about their day, maybe play Wordle, just spend a few moments before they go to bed. And when it comes to her time, we have three twin beds in the same room. I mean, we have an extra bedroom. If she didn't want to sleep in there, she had the option. But she wanted to sleep with the girls. And the girls, like, it's a big sleepover. Like, they were excited. And I'd ask her, do you want me to lay in bed with you for a few minutes and, you know, cuddle? And she's like, yeah. And then my husband would ask and she would say no. So we respected her wishes and he would just go. She got reunited with her aunt a few days later. We only had her for five days. But, oh my God, she was amazing. I totally would have like kept her forever. She was like one of the best kids. I swear all these kids just, they felt safe. You know, she walked in my house and she's like, Amita, I don't want to stay here a little time. I want to stay here a long time. And I was like, I know baby. I was like, but we don't know how long, you know, you're going to be here. Let's just enjoy our time together. And she would cuddle and she wouldn't ask about her mom. I don't know if it's just because she was still in shock. But she wouldn't cry over. She asked, I got her once. And I said, well, mommy got in a little trouble and she's kind of in a timeout right now. You know, I didn't want to talk negative about her. And I asked her, like, was she a good mommy? She's like, yeah. You know, I try to keep it light and positive and not talk bad. 
yeah about her because I don't know her I don't know their situation yeah um again you don't know if this child's gonna have to go back home yes the really heartbreaking thing with Carly was the two things that she was really consistent about was she didn't have a bed and we know sleeping heavily peace and like that organization really means a lot to me knowing that Carly she's like I have an air mattress and I sleep with my mommy like she does not have a bed and then her refrigerator didn't have food in it so like really so heartbreaking yes but she has a really supportive aunt and a cousin that is the same age. So we got her on Thursday. You know, the weekend happened. So everything shuts down. Um, the aunt was frantic. She could not find her sister. She could not find Carly. This woman is Carly's like second mom. And on Monday, we get the call that her aunt is coming to pick her up. It was a traumatic like exchange. It's being for my first. You know, we meet at the DCBS office and... I go to hand Carly over. Her aunt is so excited to see her. It's like hugging her. And her aunt went to walk her and put her in the car. And she starts screaming. She's like, no, I don't want to go with you. I want to stay with her. Pointing at me. And like screaming and crying and like reaching for me. So her aunt brought her back, which this woman is an angel. Because I feel like that was my niece or nephew. I would have probably been in tears being like, why don't you come home with me? Like, I love you, you know. But she was very patient. And it took about an hour for us. Not really me. I just kind of like was quite in like there for support, but I let the social worker and the aunt kind of talk to her, decompress, being like, why not you want to go? Like, da, da, da. took us an hour, but she finally agreed to like, go with her aunt. And I got her aunt's contact information, gave her my contact information. Like, we sat in my car for an hour, like talking to her. And on the way home, like she was sending me videos of Carly talking about us, like all the positive things that she had done and experienced. And I never touched natural hair. And that was a learning. I was calling all of my black friends being like, can you please help me? This baby deserves like treatment. Like she, you know, like, what do I do to do this? I need, like, I need to take proper care of her hair. And her aunt was like, oh my God, you did amazing with her hair. Again, I had never touched natural hair. It was not really intimidating, just different. Yeah. And you just don't know. I mean, if you don't have the experience, you're just not educated to know how to handle it. But I did learn a lot. I did reach out to my friends and I watched lots of YouTube videos and I went to Walmart and admire and got her the right brushes, the right combs, the right products. Like, you know, because she doesn't use the same products as we do. It doesn't work the same way on her hair. And my friend was like, she only has to wash it once a week and it's really easy to take care of. I was like, oh my God, you are a lifesaver. <laughs> I like, I need to take you out to like coffee because you have saved so much frustration on both of our parts because her hair really needed to be, you know, brushed and cleaned. So her aunt was like praising me and I felt like that was like a high honor. <laughs> I was like, yes, I did okay by this baby. For the white girl. <laughs> yes. But she was amazing. And I still talk to her. I have her aunt's contact information. And right before school start, I was like, hey, can I come still Carly and Cassie, her little cousin, which they're the same age, because I'm not going to leave her out. I am very conscious of children because they don't understand. Like, right. So we went and the girls and I went up to Lexington and we grabbed both of them. We went to um, local ice. It's the best shaved ice in Lexington. It's in Hamburg. So we took them and got like shaved ice and ice cream. Then we went to the park and we just like piddled around for a couple of hours. And like, I think that you still get to have that connection. I know it really is because I'm so nervous of, I get so attached to these kids. Well, anybody, I'm a very social person and I, I form like deep connections with people. So it puts a peace of mind to like when she went home, I wasn't devastated because she went back to a great situation. Right. And then our second placement, he came in April. So about a month after Carly left, we got our call at 11 p.m. I'm sitting in my daughter's bed because she had a tummy ache and, you know, she wants to cuddle. So I was cuddling. The caseworker called and she's like, there's a group of eight 
siblings that need to find home. And I was like, oh, hey. And she's like, oh, we have to separate them out. Like, we can't put them all in one home. I was like, okay. And she's like, here's the children that fit in your age range. And, you know, it was a five-year-old little boy, a three-slash-four-year-old little girl, 18-month-old twins, and then a baby that was two months old. And I was like, okay, let me talk to my family and I'll call you right back. So I'm laying in bed with my daughter and I look over her. I was like, who are you most comfortable with? And she's like, I really would like to foster the baby. So I let her pick because it impacts her as well. And again, she's an equal part of our family in, in the decisions. So I went down and talked to my husband. And I said, okay, out of the four, here are the two options that I'm comfortable with, which was the baby and the three slash four-year-old. My husband's like, well, there's not a whole lot of difference between the two, you know, care-wise. I mean, the baby, you're going to be up every couple hours, and but you don't know how, how the three, four-year-old is going to sleep. So it's like, okay, this is what Lily wants. And he's like, all right. So we called her back and I tried to go to sleep. I think I fell asleep around one o'clock. And as soon as I fell asleep, I got a call and they're like, oh, we're almost back to Richmond. Come get this baby. <laughs> okay. She's like, I'll call you when we get back. Ma'am, she did not call me until three o'clock in the morning. And I was like exhausted. I had like maybe an hour of sleep, but I go over three o'clock in the morning and the oldest two kids, which were 16 and 12, were sitting there and they just looked defeated. And they're looking at their baby brother. My heart just broke. Like I'm trying not to cry in the back of the room because like you can just see they raised their baby brother. I was going to say they are the parents. Those children are the parents. Let's be honest. And I was like, you know, their foster mom was sitting in the room and I was like, here's my phone number. You know, you can call me, you can text me. I will send you pictures like daily, like whatever they need to help, you know, keep sanity over the situation. Just call me. And I did. I sent pictures, you know, most every other day and we call and they live down the street. So like, you know, I saw on Facebook that most of the household was sick. I made a lasagna, took it over there so they didn't have to worry about dinner. But this baby, oh my gosh, he was... You forget how hard babies are. <laughs> you just see them and they're like all cute and cuddly when there's someone else's. And you're like, oh, I miss it. Because when you're in the throes of it, like Mother Nature is like the trickster because like you forget the labor pains. You forget like the sleepless nights and like, oh my gosh, diapers. I never had bottles ever. I breastfed. So bottles were new. A penis was new. I was like, <laughs> what do I do? <laughs> the, I had to like go to the pediatrician because it wasn't circumcised. And I was like, baby like i don't know and he's like oh he'll tell me how to like clean it and take care of it and i'm just like thinking like oh my god i'm you know like not used to this no because everything like girls are nice and tucked away and packaged like it's just not exposed and then him he's just like out of there oh my gosh (laughs) and again not circumcised and then i was so upset because the mom she didn't circumcised him at the hospital but she was like i think she wanted some form of control over this situation because she had them taken away she's like i want him circumcised now miss ma'am so we had to go through all that rigmarole and like the urologist he was like no we're not gonna do that it's purely cosmetic at this point i was kind of like shoot like i don't want to cause this baby harm like that to me was traumatic he's two months old almost three at this point it's he's been through enough the last few days his body, his choice. He can decide if he wants to do that when he is older. I'm not going to do that. All about self-modification at an appropriate age when they can ask for it and know the consequences and fully understand what that means. Yes. Like I didn't get my baby's ears pierced when they were newborns. My oldest was five. She wanted it as a reward for getting like a color tartan. She would come home with a blue wristband if she had a really great day. And on the 20th day of her blue wristband, I was like, hey, you know, what do you want your breath? And she's like, I want to go get my ears pierced. Well, her little sister's like, well, 
I'm going to get my ears pierced. And I was like, are you sure? Like I asked the little one like multiple times because you're three. It's a big yep. thing. Are you sure? And she's like, yeah. I was like, all right. And then daddy got his ears pierced because what girls can do, boys can do. We wanted to show them like there's not boy colors. There's not girl colors. There's not boy toys. There's not girl toys. Like there's toys and colors. You like what you like. So going back to Kane, we had him for two months. And oh my gosh, we didn't really get an adjustment period with Carly because she was only with us for five days. Yeah. We were with Kane for two months. And in that two months, like with a baby, it's a lot different than an already established like person because, you know, Carly, she was potty trained. She could feed herself. She could brush her teeth. She could do a lot of things on her own. Whereas this baby is dependent on you and you bond. Like we're doing lots of, you know, cuddles and I'm waking up multiple times a night to feed him and the girls are changing his diaper and like we're just bonding. And you become... Like, he was with us more than he was with his mom. So, like, I became, like, mother figure. Like, if he was upset, my husband couldn't console him because he didn't want him. He wanted me. So, when we got the call that he was going to Tennessee, which was amazing. Like, his aunt and uncle, I do not know how they do it. They have 12 children in their home right now. They had four of their own. They took all eight siblings. And that, to me, I was like, man, they're crazy. I don't know. But... You know, I'm in contact with her as well because I was really nervous. I'm like, man, this woman's not going to text me. She's not going to update me like, you know, yeah. but she does. She sends me random pictures every once in a while. I'm going to be sending him like, oh, my God, they had the cutest baby clothes and wire right now. And there's like a little turkey outfit. And I was like, thanks to me. He's a little turkey. So I'm going to send him the turkey onesie. And so it's again, I get to have that connection. Like I thought like it was going to be lost and like it was so hard. Yeah, to think about, you're not going to know what happens. Oh my gosh, yeah, it was like, my girls, like, my girls will still come cry and be like, mommy, we really miss Kane. We want Kane back. And I'm like, baby, that's not how this works. Like, I know you miss him, but, you know, he's with his family. Like, think about it if you aren't with your sister, how hard that would be. And now he's not with his mommy or his daddy. He's, you know, with relatives he's never met. So it's really hard for a lot of these kids that don't have those connections or those people that yeah. care. But the fact that all those kids are back together again is a miracle, really. Yes. Yes. Because when you have big groups like that, it's really hard to find one spot yeah. that can take them. Because I think there's a limit on the amount of children you're allowed to have in a bedroom. Right. I think Tennessee's a little different than Kentucky. I think Tennessee said that there are allowed four children per room, which they have the space for, which is, again, kind of uncommon, you know, right now in this housing market, as we have seen. So it's really lucky that they got reunited. And I'm really thankful that they got reunited. So then the question becomes, you know, when is the next call going to come? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Again, like, you know, when you're going in labor, you have a plan. But with uh, fostering, you, you just really never know. Like, I, we were at the beach and we got a call. And you can't take a placement on vacation because they're not going to place them with, like, a respite home. Right. And then transfer them again. You know, I have a lot of mom guilt or personal guilt when I have to tell them no, because we have had calls where it's either a teenager, which we aren't comfortable with taking just because we don't know the amount of trauma and having young kids. And you have young kids that you have to think about their well-being above yes. anything else. Originally, we were only just going to do girls zero to seven because I want my children to be older again, because you don't know the trauma and you don't know what an older child would talk your children into doing because kids are, you or know, even just talk about, yes, that you're not ready for your kids to know yet. Yes. So we asked that our children be older. And then when we got Kane, I was like, okay, I'm comfortable if the baby, the kid is like three and under. Again, they can't persuade my children to do something that they aren't comfortable with because my kids are eight and 10. 
but we've had calls for sibling groups. And I told our social worker, I was like, I feel horrible telling you no, but I know my limits and I cannot do four children. Three is even a lot, but it's manageable. That's my comfort zone. We can't do medically complex because our home is just not set up for it. We've not done the trainings. And again, I feel like that would really take away from my children. And I don't want to take away everything and focus on another individual that, you know, we may or may not have in our lives forever. I mean, again, I applaud the people that can take in those kids. Absolutely. Everybody has, you know, if you're called to do this kind of thing, you know, there are going to be people who have that niche. They're called to handle that kind of niche. And that's, you know, what they're going to be good at. And those children will be placed with the proper person, you know, and and you have the specific niche, you know, you and your family that are doing this all together. And I mean, what a lesson for your girls. Well, after Kane left, we did ask the girls, we were like, hey, do you want to continue to foster? Because if it was too much emotionally distressing for them, you know, we would have considered closing our home. That wasn't even an option for them. They're like, when are we going to get the next, like, you know, placement? And I'm like, I, baby, I don't know. It's not like I can go pick out, right. you know, from the store. It's just when they call. And I feel like no calls are good calls. Yes. I mean, absolutely. I mean, it could be viewed two different ways. Like no calls are maybe failing a family that needs the help, like a child that needs help. But to me, sometimes no calls mean that more families are staying and are stable. And yes, like there are less children at risk. Yes. Because I don't want to be like, you know, oh, there's kids that are staying in horrible situations. Like I don't want that at all. Oh, absolutely. But I also don't want children taken for no reason or the wrong reason. There has to be a fine line there. I mean, every system is broken. The foster system is no exception. So yes, there are maybe children that shouldn't have been taken away from a parent. But again, it's situational. It's not all situations that a kid is taken undeserving from a parent. But then you have that opposite too in that broken systems that there are children that should have been removed. There haven't been. There are also bad foster homes. Absolutely. Two of the siblings got placed with a foster mom that I thought should not have been able to be a foster parent. Just how she talked to the children, how like she would always be late, how she talked to the other foster moms was just very disrespectful. And like I heard like, you know, again, these are children. They could have been fibbing because, right, you know, you but know. like living situation wasn't the greatest. I mean, her card was, you know, not the greatest. So like I could see maybe there was some truth to the situation. But again, it's a system and not everything can be perfect. Right. It's not going to be perfect. But the only thing that you can control is how things go in your home when you have a child placed with you and the impact that you and your family are able to make in that child's life for the time that you have them. And, you know, hopefully you'll get lucky down the line and you'll continue to be able to have contact as you've had with the first two. But you have to focus on what you can control. Yes. And the positivity that you can put out there with the opportunity that you have. You can't focus on the rest of it. Well, I just really want to thank you for coming on the show and sharing this information. We're going to put information in our podcast description about the foster care system here locally so that people, if they wanted to go get some more information and find out, you know, about how can they sign up to be a foster mom and a foster dad or a foster family so that they can get more information. I'm hoping that this brings a light to some folks that have maybe considered it but just didn't know to let them kind of see that it's not so scary. It really isn't. And the process wasn't terrible. You don't have to go in person anymore. That's a positive from COVID is that everything went to digital like Zoom. You know, even with business, we all went digital, which as a millennial, I'm all for, you know, let phone rings and I'm like, (laughs) (laughs) don't call me when you can text me. Right. Like, (laughs) 
I mean, I will answer, but it'll be like a littering for a minute and like drum up the courage to answer. But no, everything was digital. We got to stay at home. Even our continuing education that you have to do, we've done from home. I think there is options for in-person. I think the Zoom fits our needs better because like you said, my husband's very introverted and the less contact he has with the outside world, I swear he's committing a hobbit. Um, (laughs) So, you know, the longest part for us was just the background check because we had lived out of state for a while, but normally Kentucky's pretty on it with their background check. So if you've stayed in state, it shouldn't take that long. Good deal. Well, we'll put that information in the podcast description and we're also going to put information so that you can have Amanda's contact information. So if you have the need for a residential loan of some kind, Again, she's with Movement Mortgage, and we want you to reach out to her and contact her if you have any needs in that area. And just thanks for joining us on the podcast again today, Spilling the Title Tea, where we talk a little bit about business and a lot about life. That's all the tea we have for you this week. Thanks for tuning in. Please be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode of Spilling the Title Tea and visit us online for more valuable resources at springdaletitle.com. Springdale Title.